For this morning's scripture reading, I have, uh, Pastor John has given me a series of sections, selections from the book of Revelation. And rather than uh, you and I trying to turn and flip and find them, um, I have them all written down here. And I'm just going to read them. And I, uh, and, and you just go ahead and listen. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have, so that no one will take your crown Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's hear the preaching of God's word. Well, welcome to all of you who are visiting with us. You all look like visitors to me this morning. And if you're visiting, uh, you've stepped into a series that we are doing together, a series studying four important graces of the Christian life. Um, The importance of these graces is seen as we grasp their main activity, what it is they do. So for our memory review this morning, uh, I'm going to give you the grace And you give me its main activity. Okay? Four graces. Here we go. Hope. 
right? I didn't trick you. Humility. Love. And faith. I want to remind you this morning that these four graces are for living the Christian life. And the Christian life for us now is life with pandemic, life with face masks, life with inconveniences and uncertainties. With critical elections looming, with the economy buckling, with morality being redefined, with hatred and prejudices being fanned into flames, with constitutional law and order unraveling on our streets and in our courts, with the whole world staggering, with all the ways this is interrupting your lives, your ease, your joys, and yes, your futures and the futures of your children and grandchildren. This is all part of the arena in which God is calling us To live the Christian life. And if I could just pick four things that are most needful for times like these. I could not improve on these four graces. How we need humility to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That he might lift us up in his due time. How we need faith to... To to direct our eyes to Jesus and to see in him and to receive from him the very graces that, that we find ourselves lacking and so to find help in our time of need. How we need love to keep us from being turned in upon ourselves in these times. Protecting our turf and rather to turn us outward in active neighbor love. And how we need hope. To keep us keeping on. To keep us from growing weary under the the pressure of all of this. To where we want to quit and give up. Hope to enable us to persevere right on to the end. Full of bright hope for today and hope for tomorrow. Since the future belongs to Christ and his people. This study is no cold didactic study that has nothing to do with with life for us Christians. But rather, these are the things I will need tomorrow morning as I face the realities of life in this present world. And as humility and faith and love and hope are growing in our hearts and lives, our light to this poor dark world, a world without Christ, will shine brighter and brighter for him and bring glory to him even as we just sang. So, we're on faith again this morning. We will be for a little bit yet. It's an important grace. It's, it's on the top four. Why? Why is faith such a precious thing? Such a valuable grace that it, it sent Paul into a hallelujah session every time he saw or heard about people having faith. What's the big deal? Well, last week, or, or we, we see it's because... Of what it receives. It it receives Jesus Christ himself. And eternal life in him. And every other blessing of salvation. In Christ Jesus. Last week we started to break this down further. And we saw two things that faith does. First it unites us to Christ. As bride and bridegroom. The two made one. So that what is his is now ours. 
as well. So bride of Christ, did you live this past week upon the resources of your bridegroom? Upon his patience and his love and his joy and his peace and his perseverance. It's yours, you know. It's in him for you. Precious faith that unites me to such a rich and gracious bridegroom. And then faith also purifies the heart. How can I, a poor sinner, walk in light with him who has no darkness at all? Only because the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses and goes on cleansing, purifying me from all sin and all unrighteousness. And that cleansing is applied to my heart by faith when I look to Jesus and trust him for that cleansing. So so faith or, or, or the blood of Jesus is the cleansing agent, but faith applies it to my need. The blood of Jesus is the medicine, but faith is the hand that takes the medicine and is purified by that precious, precious faith that applies the precious blood to purify our hearts, that we might live in communion with God, that we might walk through this pandemic, walking with Jesus every day, living upon him. Well, you need to know then that every Moment of fellowship you had with Jesus this week. Every moment of fellowship with God the Father and God the Spirit was due to that cleansing blood of Jesus. And the faith that applies that precious blood to your heart. Now, what else does faith do that makes it so precious? Just one thing for today. Faith overcomes the world. So please turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. It's not the gospel of John. It's rather the epistle of John, the first epistle. 1 John chapter 5 verses, and we'll read the first five verses. The apostle John says this to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 5 verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. For this is love for God to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, faith, did you see it? Faith, the great receiver. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. What's that worth to you who live in this world? Uh, who are daily tempted by it, who must overcome it if you would inherit a place in heaven. Eight times, no less than eight times, the Lord Jesus tells us in the book of Revelation that the blessings of his salvation are only shared with overcomers. Only overcomers. In other words, only believers and all real believers overcome the world. 
Indeed, everyone born of God overcomes the world, John says. Now, to overcome infers opposition, doesn't it? You say, I overcame it. There was, there was a, an opponent that you overcame. And that's true here. Someone, something is against us. It's trying to conquer us. And rather than being overcome, we must overcome it. And the it is identified three times in our text. In verse 3, in verse 4, in verse 5. This is the victory that has overcome the world. The world. The world is one of the chief enemies of the believer. It opposes us. It attacks us. It pressures us and resists us. And this world of which John speaks is the sum total of all who oppose God. All who are antagonistic to his laws, his gospel, his Christ, his church, his purposes, his mission. John tells us in chapter 5 verse 19 that this world, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's this world, the great opponent, Satan, and the whole world doing his bidding. Now, this is the enemy of every Christian, and it stands between us and heaven. Just as in Vanity Fair and Pilgrim's Progress, you remember where it was? It was right on the road to the celestial city. You, you had to go through it in order to get to the celestial city. There was no way around it. You see, this is where we live our lives, Christian. This is where we trust in God in this world. And it's by God's design. It's where we live out the Christian life. And it's in this unbelieving world. It is this unbelieving world that makes loving and obeying God so difficult. And that's John's point here in our text. Isaac Watts asks in his hymn, Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Is that what you found? Or have you not found that, that this vile world is a hindrance to us and would keep us from God and makes obeying him and loving him all the more difficult? So everyone at work is talking about the latest movie. But it was full of filthy language and sexual scenes. And in obedience to God's word, you are fleeing sexual immorality. You're not neutral to it. You're running from it. And you're keeping your eyes and mind pure as the gospel calls us to. And so you didn't see the movie. Well, that costs you nothing here on your Sunday morning fellowship with other believers. But your silence at work when everyone else is talking about it makes you stand out a bit odd, a bit different. Different in a way that makes you uneasy. And you see the dismissive way they look at you. And you feel uncomfortable. And so it goes with their dirty jokes and their filthy music. And you don't enter in and, and you get a reputation for it, don't you? Now, if you lived on an island, you would have the flesh, your own flesh, and the devil to deal with, to make obedience hard. 
But you don't live on an island alone. You live in this world. And the world makes it even more difficult because it appeals to your lust and to your flesh and would pull you away from loving God and obeying his commands. Now, if every girl and woman were wore clothing that was modest, it would be easier to obey God's command to dress modestly with decency and propriety, ladies. But when the world's styles of clothing have become sexually provocative and suggestive and immodest and inappropriate for women and young ladies who profess to worship God, then it becomes much more difficult to to obey God's command and to break with what's in with the world. Gossip and listening to gossip has become a national pastime. But if you refuse to take part in it, either gossiping or listening to gossip, it will not go unnoticed or unpunished. The world makes it harder to obey God's commandments about our tongues, about our ears, about our eyes, about our bodies, about our lives in this world. Most of you believe that God created the world in six days. And if you said that in Sunday school class here, it would be an easy thing. But to say it in the secular university science classes where the professor laughs at creationism is another thing. Well, what made the difference? Same belief, same person, you? Well, it was the environment. It wasn't Sunday school anymore. It wasn't the people of God anymore. It's now the world. It's harder there, isn't it, to stand up for Christ and his word. Because the world is ever applying pressure on us, as Romans 12, 2 says. Pressure to squeeze us into its mold. It's out to conform us to it. It wants us thinking like it. Conforming us to its rebellion against God and his laws. It wants us and is trying to conform us to hold its values and views, its self-made ethics and morality. To, to live for things temporal like they are doing and to forget God and the eternal. And so it allures us. It plays to our lust. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of what we are and have. It plays to that proud streak of independence and self-will that I find within. Encouraging me to do whatever makes me happy. And it plays to our desire to be on the inside rather than to be the odd man out. It pressures us to conform not only by its allurements, but also by its punishments. The world has two faces. It, It can smile and allure us, but it can also frown and threaten us, and persecute us, and insult us, and snicker and mock us, letting us know that there's a price to pay for nonconformity, for breaking with the pack, living countercultural to what the world says is politically correct. Sinclair Ferguson, a dear minister of the gospel, theologian, was fellowshipping with a brother, one Sunday night after their Lord's Day was over, after the evening service, and 
They were just blessing the Lord together for another day spent with God's people. That together they could sing the praises of their Savior. And and together they could lift up their prayers of praise and thanksgiving and petition. and, And have their hearts beating together. In all of that, and as the words preached, to, to say, that's my meat, that's my drink. And, and, and the whole congregation, you see, has that same hunger and thirst and, and, and shares the same biblical worldview. And, and then this brother said to Pastor Ferguson, as he glanced out the windows, he says, you know, it's a different world out there. It is a different world out there. It's an unbelieving world out there. It's an antagonistic world out there to our Savior and his word. And that's why it's more difficult to live the Christian life out there. We all need the church. That's why our gatherings are so precious, and I trust that it's becoming more and more obvious. But you see, we don't belong out there. We're not one of them anymore. But we do belong here. And we need that encouragement. And so we step out of that atmosphere of hate, the world's hatred, into the atmosphere of the body's love. And we step into the atmosphere of faith and out of the atmosphere of unbelief. And we feed on Christ and we stir each other up in our singing and praying and fellowship. And then we go back out into the world. Now, we all feel this pressure out there in the world. No one is completely dead to it yet. When's the last time you shared the gospel with a lost person? Let me let me rephrase the question. When's the last time you've had an opportunity to share the gospel with a lost person, but you... You, you, you kept your silence because you, you wondered, what will they think of me if I talk about Jesus? That's what I'm talking about. The, the pressure of the world. I felt it. I should say I probably feel that particular pressure every week. That's the world making obedience harder. And that's what John's talking here in our text. It makes it harder to obey God's commandment to not hide our light under a bushel but to let it shine to all that are within our circle of influence, right in the midst of the dark world where it's most needed. Peter felt it, didn't he? He felt it on the night of our Lord's betrayal. Peter had no problem confessing his love and loyalty to Jesus in the upper room with the twelve. But just hours later, the same Peter and the same Lord but a different context. He's now in the world. And he's warming his hands around a fire with other worldlings. And he finds it's altogether another thing to confess loyalty and love to Jesus here. In fact, he denies three times that he even knows Jesus in the world. Its pressure is so strong that the last time he calls on God to curse him if he knows that man. The pressure of the world, to conform. Peter felt it. We all feel it. It's not easy swimming upstream. It's not easy paddling your canoe on up, up current. 
when the broad road and everyone on the broad road are going downstream and would sweep you right up in its destruction. You know Jesus' words. There's the broad road, and many are on it, and it leads to destruction. And then there's the narrow road, and only a few find it. And maybe I'm mixing metaphors, but it's true that we shouldn't think of, well, here's the broad road and everyone on it, and over here's the narrow road and just a few on it. No, the narrow road goes right up the broad road. That's where we live the Christian life. That's where we walk in holiness with God right through the world as it's coming at us, you see. And it's that current that makes it so hard to live the Christian life and hence our need for faith. Now, I I say, what is the encouragement flowing from our text then that tells us everyone born of God overcomes the world and they do so by faith? For faith is the victory. That has overcome the world. Let's unpack this a bit further. In what ways does our faith overcome the world? Two points. Number one, faith looks to Christ and sees his victory over the world. John 16, It's the last words of Jesus on that night of his betrayal. They're in the upper room. Those, that that uh, discourse, the... The Upper Room Discourse, it's called, chapter 13 to 16. And these are his last words to his disciples before they head out and go into Gethsemane and the betrayal. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And with these words, Jesus is preparing his men to carry on without him after he is gone. And here's two things you need to know, men. Number one, in the world you will have trouble. Tribulation. The basic idea of that word is pressure, just as we've been speaking. Negative pressure. And those who teach that the Christian life here can be free of trouble haven't been taught by Jesus. In the world, disciples, you will have trouble. He assures them of it. Just minutes earlier, he had told them, chapter 15, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. And if they have persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Now, he was leaving the world. They were not. And that means that from now on, the world's hatred and attacks at Jesus will land on them. And that's why you can be sure that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution in this world. One way or another. You can't dodge trouble from the world if you're a disciple of Jesus. Not altogether. I wonder if we've forgotten somehow that this world that we live in is the same world that could not rest until they had murdered our Savior. That's what we think of your Jesus, Christians. 
No wonder Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. He's on his way to the cross. Chased there by the world as far as the earthly perspective. Yes, it was the Father's design. But he takes what is evil from the world and he turns it into the the best thing. The only way of salvation. So is the world giving you trouble, Christian? Peter says, don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. Is it raining in England today? Don't be surprised. That's normal. Expect it. Are you getting trouble from the world? Nothing strange about that either. Expect it. Par for the course. In the world, you will have trouble. But, but there's something else that his, his followers need to know as we live in this troubling world. And he tells us, he first says, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart. And here I like the old King James. I don't think you can improve on it. Be of good cheer. In the world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. Those two don't go together, do they? And I wonder how long our Savior paused at that point before he gave the punch love as to why they should be of good cheer. Why you and I should leave here of good cheer this morning in a world that's troubling us. In the world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus didn't live his life on a different planet. It was the same fallen God-hating world that we live in. And he was God in the flesh, so he took it full force. It was a world that did not know him, want him, or receive him, but rejected and hated and persecuted him for not conforming to their ways and beliefs. That's what you read in the Gospels, right through the Gospels. They hated him because he did not conform to their ways and their beliefs. And it's why they wanted to kill him and did kill him. But you see, whatever the world brought against him by way of allurements and pressures to conform, Jesus overcame. He conquered the world. He conquered it by rejecting all of their temptations. All it had to offer him to allure him from the path of duty. He had nothing to do with them. And by saying that, I don't mean he didn't struggle. If you don't think Jesus struggled, go to Gethsemane and learn what it means to be tempted. He sweat great drops of blood as he was tempted to set the cup aside. I don't fully understand it. He's God, but he's man. And as man, he was tempted in every way like we are, yet was without sin. And yet the world could not get him to sin once. He conquered it. He overcame it. He rejected all of its threats to scare him from the path of duty. Oh, if you, if you say this, if you do that, if you claim to be God, you're, you're gonna, we're going to put you on a cross. We're going to stone you. Now, those things would have made me run. And there was a human desire to live in the Son of God, become man. But he didn't let those threats move him one iota from doing his father's will. 
He conquered the world by rejecting its threats. He showed he'd rather die than sin against his loving father. And so he's overcome the world. He overcame the world by overcoming the prince of this world. Satan. And here he is just hours from crushing his head and dealing the decisive blow on Calvary. He's been in this same anti-God world. He's experienced all its same temptations and pressures to conform. And has completely overcome it in every way. And so he's able to say to you, Christian, right in the midst of this troubling world, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So you're making your way through this world like a mountain climber. And there's all kinds of pitfalls and dangers and temptations along the way. But your expert guide has gone before you. And the last stretch is the sheer rock face of the mountain, straight up, even kind of leaning back upon you. And your guide goes up before you. And he's got a rope. And you've got the lower end. And he's, he's out of sight. And at last you hear his voice. And he says, take heart. I've made it. And therefore you will too. I've overcome. And therefore you will too. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Our faith in his victory. He's fought the ultimate battle with the world. And won the victory over it. And faith sees his victory. A victory not just for himself. But for his blood bought bride. For he overcame the world as our captain. As the captain of our salvation. So his victory over the world is our victory over the world. As much as David's victory over Goliath was victory for all of Israel. And so if you knew for sure. Before some battle began that you would win. Would it not nerve you for the battle? Would it not strengthen you to fight on? To brave all troubles. To count all costs. To never quit. Because you knew that victory was sure. Well, though our battle to the death with the world is still raging, by faith, look up to Jesus. He has overcome the world. He's triumphed over it. He's conquered it. Never let him out of sight, but bring him into view in each battle and squirmish you have with this world. Every time you feel its pressures, look to your overcoming Savior and his victory over it. And take heart and be of good cheer and fight on, confident that his victory guarantees yours. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So that's the first way faith overcomes the world. It it looks to his victory and, and is encouraged. You see, faith receiving victory the victory of Christ. But secondly, faith finds in Christ himself the power to overcome the world. Not only does faith find power in his victory, but faith finds power over the world in himself, in Jesus Christ, the person. So how does the world fight? Well, it's pressures to be ashamed of Jesus 
and his word. Ashamed of Jesus? My dear friend? On whom my hopes of heaven depend? No, when I blush, be this my shame that I no more revere his name. He who was not and is not ashamed of me. I find strength to battle against the world's pressure because of who Jesus is. His love for me is not being ashamed of me. And faith sees him and finds in him the victory that overcomes the world. For Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Mark 8, 38. And so faith, faith, faith sees a day coming. It, it sees a Christ that's coming. And coming not as a baby in the manger with his glory veiled, but coming in, in all the glory of the Father. He's God as much as the Father is God. And he's coming in that glory with all his retinue of his holy angels too. And faith sees that day. And faith reckons it to be so. And it sees that coming Savior. A day when we'll stand before God in judgment and our whole eternity will hang on whether Jesus will be ashamed of us or not. Whether Christ will be my advocate in that day. Whether he will go before the Father and speak on my behalf to him. Whether he will say, he's mine, Father. She's mine, Father. I shed my blood and bought these. They were not ashamed of me in that wicked and adulterous world. And I now am not ashamed to call them mine. Faith sees that day coming and finds power, finds energy to not be ashamed of Jesus and his word. Or again, the world fights us with temptations to sin and allures us to disobey God's commands, offering things that feed our lusts, our evil desires, our pride of life, telling us that stolen water is the sweetest stuff. Forbidden things hold the most pleasure. And faith enables us to see those forbidden things, not as they're presented, but as they really are. The world presents only the bait. Faith sees the hook beneath the bait. Faith sees through the world's lies. It sees that this world and its desires are are, are passing away, but he who does the will of God endures forever. The world presents to us its pleasures of sin, real pleasure in sin. But faith sees that its pleasures of sin are only for a season and are followed by a long eternity of torments in hell. You see, faith sees these realities. And when the world's pleasures fizzle out, we will have eternal pleasures at the right hand of our Lord Jesus. Fading is the worldling's pleasure. All his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. Faith sees that, sees it now, sees that Christ is the great prize. Faith sees all that Christ promises to overcomers in the book of Revelation and will settle for nothing less. Isn't it amazing what the world is settling for? As we heard Pastor Jason read, 
what Jesus offers overcomers. To eat from the tree of life forever. To rule and reign with Christ forever. To be with him forever. In a new heaven, a new earth forever. World, you can keep your trinkets. I'm going for the big win. Faith, you see. Faith sees it. The world doesn't see it. But faith does. Faith sees all that Christ promises and holds out for that. Holds out for him. But it is especially what our faith finds in Christ himself that gives us power to overcome the world. We see more glory in Christ than all that the world has to offer. What's it offering you? There's better things in Christ. Deeper delights, fuller joys, greater pleasures in him. Compared to the riches that are found in Christ, the best the world has are but trifles. Yes, faith finds more pleasure in Christ and communion with him than it does in sin. The world's pleasures of sin. What are the world's frowns when Jesus is smiling? Faith finds exquisite pleasure in pleasing him. In his love for me. And that's what breaks the back of the world's temptations and wins the victory over the world. It's what we see in Jesus. We didn't used to see anything in Jesus to cause us to, to worship him. To make him the one who's preeminent in our lives. We, we yawned at that Jesus. Until God removed the blindness by which Satan has blinded the world so that we saw the glory of God in the face of Christ and we, we, we've become worshipers. And we love him. And that love of Christ for us stirs a love in our hearts. And so the, the world's power over us is broken. I, I, I'm sure that's what Paul was thinking of in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I crucified to the world. That's our subject, the world and its allurements. And Paul would say the attractive and alluring power of the world used to dominate and control me. It, it held me under its spell. But what I have now seen by faith in Christ crucified has changed all of that. I found such attraction in the cross of Christ and his love seen there that has broken the world's spell. And now Christ crucified holds me under his spell. Christ has out allured the world in gaining my affections. And so by his cross. The world has been crucified to me and I to it. You can have the world because I have Christ, the one who was nailed to the cross for me. It's what Thomas Chalmers called the expulsive power of a new affection. Children, expulsion. You think of the expulsion laboratory and just think of those, those, those what are they? They're, aircraft, they're, they're spaceships. And, and they're sitting there and they start to rumble and smoke starts to come out. And then you see it, the expulsion. 
that forces that huge, heavy ship up in the air and into outer space. The expulsion, it forces that ship upward. And that's what Chalmers spoke of, the expulsive power of a new affection. The new affection of the heart forces out the old affections for the world. And so the temptations of the world that used to be the strongest attraction and now are outdone by a greater affection. The beauty of Christ now holds us in its grip. He's altogether lovely. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. And as my heart is panting after him, what is it that you're wanting me to give up in order to lose that? What are you wanting me to do to lose this world? What, what was it? No. This forces out that. And that's so vital to overcoming the world's temptations. This new love for Christ that has power to force out the old love for the world. It's what Paul found in Christ crucified. Oh, that old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction for me. For it was on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. There he was triumphing over the world. There he was resisting to the point of shedding his blood. And he won. And in his victory, he has won my heart's affection forever. Now, that attractiveness of Jesus is only seen by faith. You see, that's the importance of faith. Faith is the thing that sees in Jesus this precious pearl of great price that he is. And that great love that he has for us. It's only grasped by faith. Peter says, though you have not seen him with these eyes, yet you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe you have faith in him that fills you with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Captivating beauty in Christ is not seen by the physical eyes. He had no beauty that we should desire him. No, it's the eyes of faith that see wonders untold in our Savior. And that attractiveness is seen by faith's look as he's set before us in the scriptures. Are you looking there? Are you gazing on the attractiveness of Jesus? Especially as it's seen pouring out his love for you at Calvary. What do you know of this expulsive power of a new affection? Precious faith that sees Christ's Calvary love as as an attraction stronger than the world's temptations. This is the way to be crucified to the world's allurements. Faith really is the victory that overcomes the world. So, lost sinner, do you see why you need Jesus so much? This world has you in its grip. Its pleasures captivate your affections. You need Jesus' victory over this world to become yours. Trust in him. Trust in him. You need his love to break your fatal attraction to the world. Take him, taste and see just how lovely he is. And dear believer, these 
are troublesome times, just as Jesus said they would be. But whatever the troubling world throws at us, whether trouble or hardship or persecution or nakedness or danger or sword, and whether we face, for Christ's sake, death all day long, counted as sheep for the slaughter. We're not there yet. Some of our brethren are there now. But, but even should we be considered sheep for the slaughter, in all these things we are more than conquerors. There's our word overcomers again. We're more than overcomers. We're, the word is hyper conquerors, hyper overcomers through him who loved us, through his victory for us, through his loveliness that has captured us and gives us power over the world. Well, I'd hope to be shorter today in light of my mask and your mask, but I've failed again. So we'll forego our closing hymn and Instead, I'll just exhort you to receive this closing word by faith. It will serve you well to remember every time you feel the world's pressure. Just this. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Amen? Amen. Then go and be of good cheer. He is overcome, and you will too. Amen.